Well, good morning. I am Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and happy Easter Sunday. Um, this is definitely the weirdest Easter I've ever been a part of, and I will say, we've been a part of some really weird Easter's, actually. Um, the first Easter of Some Downtown was, like, the only time that I was, like, deathly ill the entire day leading up to it, and I thought, uh, I... As of the night before, at like midnight, we had uh, Josh Staley on standby to potentially preach. And I ended up being okay enough to kind of figure out something and, and get through it, and all that worked out. Um, second Easter was three days before we had Quinn, so it was kind of weird personally, you know, family side of things. Uh, third uh, Easter was April Fool's. Um, so, I mean, that actually could have been the most normal Easter we've had to this point. Fourth, uh, some of downtown Easter uh, was when we had just had Greta, and there was tons of transition going on at that time last year for uh, everybody who remembers that. Woo. And uh, fifth Easter now, COVID-19, social digital, uh, social distancing, digital gathering. So uh, yeah, this takes the cake. Um, I, uh, we did do this last week, our first one. And uh, I, I got some feedback from people who wanted some more um, production value. So I do not disappoint. I talked to my parents right afterwards and they said it'd be nice to have a better background maybe a plant um and also uh yeah here's what i got for you i have sound effects ah yeah okay here we go uh so you know i can come out here in my suit and or my suit and tie my shirt and tie and well yeah um, and you know, it kind of just, it can give me a level of, yeah, there we go. Um, you know, we'll just see, we'll see how that works. Either way, um, I'm going to read our text for this morning, and it is found in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, on 8-12 in the Black Bibles that are nowhere near you, unless you took one home. Let's read Matthew 7, starting verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Uh, let's pray. Father, I pray for you to be present across the digital airwaves uh, this morning so that we can be a connected body of Christ, uh, that we could have a level of encouragement um, so that we could uh, be one body even uh, while doing uh, distancing and being apart. Uh, Lord, I pray that we be physically distanced, but we would not be socially distanced. I pray that we be socially connected, uh, socially being in each other's lives, helping, serving, um, generally just checking in on one another. Um, and Lord, I pray for you to give us this Easter a hope in your resurrection. Um, maybe because this is the oddest Easter we've experienced, maybe it's the one where it's needed possibly the most. And so I pray whether your spirit would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. One second here. 
Phone rotated funny. Uh, okay. Uh, so again, weird Easter. Noted. Uh, might we call it novel? Uh -huh. um, but wait. Uh, I really will stop that. I think I will. I I can't promise it, but I think I will. Either way, um, it's a cloud of fear is just generally hanging over the world right now with COVID-19. And it's for a lot of different reasons. I mean, it's a cloud of loss and loss of loved ones or loss of income or loss of job completely. And the most, this is probably the most stressful thing that any of us have ever gone through collectively as not just a nation, but an entire globe right now. I mean, this is uh, the first time that such a global economy and a global pandemic have met. I, that's been said a billion times. I don't need to point that out anymore. But I just want to point out this sense of loss that we are carrying with, whether you're carrying it with personally when it comes to loss of life, uh, loved ones, or, or if it's just you know, the general concept of, of seeing pictures of, of lost life, uh, but possibly it's loss of income, loss of work, um, loss of jobs, or, or just, yeah, your contractor and just work is just you know, dried up for you right now. Uh, loss of expectations. It, uh, my, well, let's see, we've had three of my kids have birthdays now. The oldest one, Judah, obviously being the one that actually knows and cares and was anticipating his birthday for months and a football party and all these things, and it just looked completely different. And, you know, you can kind of sell a six-year-old on it, but there's times where people have said, yeah, it's not just my kid's birthday, where people drove up and did the drive-by birthday celebration, which is really cool. But maybe it's like, I lost a vacation, like I was supposed to go on vacation. Maybe in a month I was supposed to go on vacation. I was supposed to go on vacation to a very coveted uh, ne uh, Sojourn Network uh, Pastors and Wives retreat, and it is canceled. And uh, I'm bummed, but, you know, uh, making through. And uh, there's lots of events, like graduations. I mean, there's a number of you are college seniors or maybe you're in high school and just things are looking you know not how you expected your senior year to go with all the dreams of whether that be senior in college or senior in um uh in high school or or just you know going through rotations as a med student or going through grad school and imagining the moment walking across the stage is probably not going to happen and beyond that you can't even really get too mad because when you think about the weddings uh again we had uh Jessica and Jackson get married a couple weeks ago, and their wedding looked completely different, as I mentioned last week. Uh, I'm going to do my first COVID-19 wedding here in a couple weeks, and yeah, we're making plans for it to be outdoors, to be extremely small, um, and to be uh, just a completely different event. And yes, there's going to be the sense of, we'll have a, a celebration event afterwards, but there is still a sense of loss that we're all experiencing. Um, there's, I, I, on top of all that, the craziest thing is this is a time where a large amount of people are dying, but yet have to have quarantine funerals. Like, we're having mass death and empty funerals. Meaning that this sense of loss is actually going to go on for a while because after social distancing lifts, there will be memorials. There'll be a sense of remembering what has been lost. And I know a lot of you are like, man, uh, this is not the Easter message I was expecting. Uh, hold on, stick with me. Because I, I want to press into that feeling that a lot of us are feeling. And... And some of us aren't even really able to, to, to label it well. And I was helped uh, to put some language to it uh, from an article uh, that I was sent from one of our members, Megan Rogg. She uh, works in counseling and she's always finding counseling resources. And she sent me 
article called The Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. And it's from the Harvard Business Review. It's from Scott Baranato. It was written on March 23rd, um, so just a couple weeks back now. And in it, he writes about how there's all this discomfort that people are feeling and they're expressing it in a bunch of different ways. And actually, if you look at it, it's all the stages of grief. That there's all the things that you've maybe said or heard said. He said uh, there's stages like denial, which we say a lot of things early on. This virus won't affect us. There's anger. You're making me stay home and taking away all my activities. There's bargaining. Okay, okay, if I social distance for two weeks, everything will be better, right? Uh, there's sadness. I don't know when this will end. And finally, there's acceptance. This is happening, and I have to figure out how to proceed. And ultimately, they say whether you're grieving something specific or not, collectively, some people can't put their finger on what that feeling is, but it is grief. And they're like, well, what am I grieving? You're grieving a loss of normalcy. Just things aren't normal, and you are painfully aware of that right now. And yeah, there's a lot of anxiety driven by that. Um, I, the mom social media shaming slash panic news is, I mean, I thought it was pretty profound before this all got started, but now it's a whole new level. And so now I see you moms of our congregation who are struggling with guilt for letting your child do something that maybe that person was okay with or maybe they weren't okay with. Uh, or, or you struggle with a sense of fear that you're trying to get them not to touch anything and you're trying to get like one, two, or three, or four, or however many little people to not touch any piece of trash or pet any dog or, you know, as you're fearing all of the things that they could touch, you turn around, they're like mud wrestling with five neighborhood kids and you're like, well, that's not good. And, and you like wake up with a GPS to all of your children and every piece of foreign contamination in the world. And how would that not be overwhelmingly anxiety producing? Because at the end of the day, it's like we're told, hey, you can control your kid's life if they live or die or if they kill their grandparents or whatever is going to happen there. And it's like, you can't. <laughs> you just can't with sanity. And it's not that we shouldn't try. It's not that we shouldn't be wise. But yeah, I my wife and I have been having that conversation of like, yeah, here are, here's the expectation and what can we do with realistic expectations? Yes, trying our best, but with real expectations for kids six and under. And toss onto that, just that general sense of, yeah, like trying to keep our kids in tow and we could lose our income or we could lose the job that I just got and I've always wanted and my career path is gonna look completely different. Or you could lose someone you know or or potentially get sick and die. And, and we're going outside less and seeing people less and it's no wonder we're completely freaked out about everything right now. So, um, oh, plus we're in a cage match with our emotions. Uh, like there's this point where like people have like streamed and it's not everyone. I know some people are like, man, I'm, not, I'm, I'm working way more uh, than I ever did before. And I would say, you're probably there if you have kids, because particularly if you have kids who are in school at all, and now you don't. And you're, uh, you know, definitely there in a lot of different industries. And but yeah, some of you are like, yeah, this is kind of nice. There's a little bit of different pace of life, and I'm able to enjoy a little bit more of a slower pace. And yeah, you've kind of just streamed everything, and you are in danger of like having like Netflixed, like a past tense verb. And oh, there was another meme. Actually, this also comes from Megan Rog. She uh, she shared a meme with me that said, uh, "I hope social distancing ends before I run out of junk drawers to organize and I have to deal with my feelings." 
because yeah, that's expressing like this reality of yeah, like we are. I mean, I, I was talking with a friend who was going to Lowe's and he said, man, Lowe's is like a freaking zoo right now because of all the people who are just going, they're around ha their house and they see stuff that's broken. They're like, I can fix that. I got the time to fix that. And they're like fixing everything that was broken in their house. And eventually, while that's all good to get done, eventually when it's all done, your feelings are still there. And it's like the musical chairs game of life has the music just stopped on us and whatever mental health, emotional health you were currently in is now what you're in. And you can try to busy yourself and who knows if you can do that long enough or maybe eventually you have to start peeling back into what those really emotions and what's really going on. Um, yeah, and again, I know this is uh, like not been like the sense of like, man, like, you know, Easter, uh, daffodils and donuts, but I, I am driving to a point, but before I get exactly to how this relates to the resurrection and Matthew 7, 24 through 27, I just want to talk about um, my ups and downs with anxiety and depression. I refer to them a lot, uh, and I've talked about them in clips and phrases. Um, but yeah, if you have just attended SOMA for a short time before this got started, uh, or for whatever reason just wasn't aware, like I am one who am regularly prone to anxiety and depression, and so much so that the last three years have been this up and down roller coaster ride of um, just really deep pits typically happening in the fall at least for the past two years and then breaking about the winter so it's like the opposite of seasonal uh, affective disorder which is baffling but um, in this last round I really pressed into um, OCD and uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and it was actually something I was I was um, I was seeing a marriage counselor Sharon and I like four years in hit some bumps and we were like, man, we just need to get to a marriage counselor, like work through some things. And I was like three or four sessions in and this guy was asking me questions and I just started like, you know, answering, you know, just based stuff of like what I felt. And like within a couple questions, he's like, oh yeah, you've got like textbook OCD. To which I was like, uh, we're here for marriage counseling? <laughs> Stay in your lane, pal. And I just, he gave me a prescription for Zoloft as I walked out and he was like, yeah, this, uh, this never really goes away, uh, and you just gotta figure out how to live with it. And I just like, I, at that point, I was, I was like rejected it. I'm like, man, this guy doesn't know me, and I'm very homeopathic, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm not going there, I'm just gonna drink more water, get more sleep, and see what happens. And I did that, and then again, these depression cycles start. And the first one was just anxiety, and I thought it was really rough, but it turns out it wasn't. The next one was just like the depths of hitting anxiety until I just like fluctuate into hardcore depression and like I mean the legit like I never got the idea of a person not being able to get out of bed in the morning and now I get the idea of a person not being able to get out of bed in the morning and yeah it's it is it feels freaking impossible and if I hadn't had a wife who was loving me and reading scripture over me and praying over me and telling me just go and get a workout you'll know you'll feel better and then you can come back and take a nap if you still like feel like you need to i'll take the kids i'll do what you need i'll i'll take on extra burden like i don't i don't know how i would have gotten through this past year and and again i, I was pressing into the ocd of it all because i was like okay maybe there's something to this and a lot of people think ocd is like monk you know tony shalhoub uh being a very neat nick detective um, 
and it's not. Um, I mean, it is, it, well, no, not even really, not most of it, because the, the heartbeat behind OCD is actually intrusive thoughts. And so it's this idea of that you have intrusive things you think about, whether they're related to things that make you feel shameful, uh, fearful, or angry, um, and they come in themes. And so you can have violent-themed OCD. You can be just like uh, walking down the street and, be, and all of a sudden you have the thought, I should stab that person in the neck. And you're like, whoa, where did this come from? And I feel shame, and so I try to press it down. And the more you try to push it down, the more it springs up like weeds. So you're not just like thinking it occasionally, you're thinking it all the time. Um, and, and then you can have fear-based OCD where it's just like, Think about this future problem that is really not solvable because it's in the future, and now you can't feel comfortable until you feel like you've completely solved it. And so you're just gonna feel like you walk with angst in the pit of your stomach 24 seven. And again, there's religious moral themed OCD. This actually, I struggled with this one, this theme a ton of different times in my life. I'm just like, I have to do this morally, and I feel like if I don't, I'm letting down God. And, and if I, you know, like, how do I deal with that kind of shame and guilt and, and uh, or, or even just despair of like, okay, now I'm just damned to hell for eternity because I failed him on this and this and this and this time. And again, it's just like, it's a pestering, I've explained it, it's almost like another personality in your head that's just like watching the things that cause you shame or cause you disgust and just like keeps pushing them into the, the memory viewer like you're in, in, you're in the movie Inside Out and just keeps popping them up whenever you're gonna feel most shameful uh, or most fearful or most angry. And um, of course there is contamination OCD, which is like, that's your classic like washing hands. Um, I'm freaked out about this, I gotta feel clean, I gotta feel better. And there's also just right OCD, which this one's, I've experienced this. This is so frustrating, because it's like you have to feel just right about doing something. So it can be like, I. I pick something, but like, ooh, that doesn't feel just right. So I wait until I feel the one that feels just right. <laughs> and, uh, you, all of this stuff, it doesn't start there. It starts with very simple things. It starts with just like trying to control a lot of things. But then as you like feel comfortable when you're in control, then something gets out of your control. So you add a layer of control to your life and you try to incorporate that. And then eventually it gets more and more and more until you're trying to control everything and you're having these intrusive thoughts and you're trying to do an external action to try to just get them to stop. And contamination OCD. I now will forever be able to explain it to people who live through this experience because it's not monk. I mean, it kind of is. But it's more like COVID-19. Like the feeling you feel when you walk through the grocery store right now, that's what OCD feels like, contamination themed. It's just like that sense of like, I feel like weird and dirty and I feel like when I breathe in, like I breathe in something like that I shouldn't breathe in and like if I touch something, I like notice touching it and like I, I just feel like almost like it's like left of film and if I touch my hair, if I touch my chest or if I touch my nose or if I touch my leg or if I brush something now or if I touch the cart, now I, I just feel like I have to go home and and then I wash my hands, but that doesn't even feel like it. Like sometimes I just want to like, you know, take a shower and like change clothes and wash those clothes. And that is exactly what OCD feels like. And when it gets bad, it's like that 24-7 with contamination themed. And so, again, OCD, it gets better or worse depending uh, if you're feeding it. And I feel like as I look around the world right now, it feels like we're having a collective OCD moment. 
I mean, first of all, if you've had OCD in your life, you can be in a really good place, but then just a certain period of fear or uncertainty can like re-trigger it all back up like it's just came in yesterday. So pretty much anybody who's struggled with it in the past is probably, it's re-triggering for them right now. And then also everybody in the world is having to like basically function with the, with the stringent like uh, recommendations of cleanliness and distancing and doing this everything perfectly all the time. And if you fail, you could die or kill someone. And that's the kind of level of like guilt and shame that one feels like in OCD at all times. And so it's like even people who maybe have never struggled with OCD before, that pit in your stomach that you feel of just like, I just feel anxiety or I just feel like shame or I just feel like angry about this all, that's almost like an OCD feeling. I mean, this is what it's like. And, and so, yeah. Uh, for that reason, I feel like we need to like separate forever mental illness and destigmatize it from this idea of crazy. Because crazy like makes us believe that crazy is just a magical thing or like a mystical thing that just happens to somebody or of course it's related to family history and, and brain chemistry. But so much of mental health and mental illness a lot of times is just normal people making normal everyday decisions that then begin to escalate and build and go in a direction. And it becomes a lot like Matthew 7, 24 through 27, of this idea of like, what are you building your life and your house on? What are you constructing? That's actually not the main point I want to bring out in related to Easter. Um, but it's that idea of, yeah, like, are you building your life towards the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control? Or are you building towards anxiety, and shame, and depression, and fear, and anger. And so, um, the thing is too, is with mental health, anxiety also is like, it's such a, it's, it's a canary in the coal mine because so many times it leads to all these other things. Uh, again, kind of this idea that mental health is not just something that happens mysteriously or just connected to the past in, brain, uh, in your family history, that's a big part of it. But there's also this sense of just like, man, sometimes you just like, work your way towards being really anxious. And for me, I don't know if this is everyone's experience, from my experience, when I hit anxiety and it's like my, it's like I feel my heart racing all the time. Um, I feel like I have a lump in my, my throat all the time. I feel like there's a, I, I sweat uncontrollably all the time. It's like my body is racing all the time, at, during sleep, during sitting, all the time. And then eventually my body just like, as a self-defense mechanism, just like says, okay, we're shutting it down. And then it goes hardcore depression. And it's like a level of like, man, now you're in the dumps because now, now we're going to go to, you can't get out of bed mode because you were just freaking out too much and we had to, you know, pull the emergency lever. And then you're either there until you decide to behave your way out of that or you just eventually get anxious about the fact that you're not doing anything and then it spurts you back up into anxiety until you burn yourself out and go back into depression and there's like this oscillation or this pendulum swinging back and forth and every swing gets more and more wild. And uh, I feel like all the anxiety that we're feeling, all the depression we're feeling, all of this, again, I bring all this up to say, I feel like I've gone through this in the last three years so that I can be in this moment and actually understand what it's like to be there but right now, for whatever reason, the Spirit, I feel like, is filling me with a meditation on Him and His resurrection and faith 
and I can be a part of just like leading. I mean, and I mean, there's so many people and so many leaders and so many of our congregation that can be a part of leading us through it. But I think there's some of us who are just not in the panic mode. And I just want to address the fact that I've been in the panic mode. I know what the panic mode is like. Because what it feels like to you right now, if you're there, it feels like your faith is just being shaken. And it's because you never lack faith. You never just have a moment, like with this idea of like, oh man, like I used to have faith and then I lost faith. That's like a total mistaken way of looking at the world because you always have faith in something, right? You always have faith, um, you have faith in God or you have faith in science. I believe that science tells a complete, a complete and cohesive story and I can live fully on that without a God figure. And again, you don't have to, those have, don't have to be at odds. I believe those things belong together, but you can separate them and you can try to believe in one or the other. Or if you just be like, ah, I just don't know really what I believe. Well, you still believe in like your car is going to start or you believe that you know, this chair that you sit down in is going to hold you, or you believe that the people that you ask to do something are going to follow through, or maybe you don't believe they're going to follow through, and you believe that you are going to be the one who follows through, or you believe that the news source of choice for you is telling you the truth, or you believe you can successfully aggregate the news, read it all, and you can discern the truth, or maybe you, again, don't, but there's always some level of faith that every action, every choice, everything you do, every time you move your foot forward, you are believing your muscles will work as an act of faith. And yes, it's well-founded faith with tons and tons of evidence in most cases. But in some cases, there's a big lack of evidence and we still act in a way that is connected to faith. And so, I mean, yeah, you believe your phone's going to wake you up. And I mean, who knows? One day, like, Apple could just decide everyone's sleeping in an extra hour while we take even more of your money out of your bank account. I don't know. And, and, and they probably won't. And it never has happened before. We trust it to switch over on daylight savings time. And I kind of freak out about that every year. And I just want to recognize that because over the history of America, of our nation, we have had faith in three different things. And this is actually from a book. I don't have the author. But uh, he writes about the three faiths of America. The first one being a faith in God. This was the first and the shortest lived, actually, in America. The Puritans come over. They were escaping from religious persecution uh, from Europe. And they come over and they establish communities where they're going to have faith in God. And actually, that doesn't last very long. In fact, by about the time of the Revolutionary War, that faith is starting to diminish because a lot of Puritans actually were pacifists and didn't fight in the Revolutionary War. And that faith is starting to get pushed out of the public square. And so what gets replaced in it is this birth of a new nation. And it is a faith in our nation. We are... Uh, God's chosen nation, or we are the number one nation, or we are this strong and powerful nation, or we are the, you know, we may not be the best nation, but we do a lot of things right. And all of a sudden there comes this faith in nation, which lasts from the Revolutionary War until about World War II. And then World War II, uh, you start getting all this cracks to that, then they really just ramp up in the 60s. And then from then on out, this faith of the nation becomes like, well, maybe actually America isn't like the the chosen people and God's chosen tool to do everything in the world. And so we shift our faith into that moment of faith in self-actualization, like faith in that I can make my life and I can yeah, create the situation, the person, um, everything that I want. I can look into myself. I can see deeply into who I am and 
I can then bring out that true inner self and project it out of the world and be at peace and be at one with who I was meant to be. And again, there's ways to get really mystic about that or ways to get really consumeristic about that or all different ways to go about it. But like it's, it's yeah, I mean, at this time we don't even realize how much we live in that myth. Like we live in that faith. And the faith of like self-actualization is just propped up by the idea that we can have on-demand streaming of anything we want or on-demand music uh, of anything we want or designer coffee anytime we want it or we can just buy anything and it shows up. I mean, we can get to show up in an hour if we want to, two hours for groceries and you can get niche markets of like the most specific items or specific like hobby that you're into or yeah, just everything. Your phone can control everything in your house and everything in your world and everything in your office and everything at all times. And it's this pushing forward this myth of self-actualization and because of the reason it's a myth is because it has to be based on the fact that you are in control, that we collectively are in control. Modernism is what began this idea that we could study the world and we could understand our environment, we could study it, we could tag it, we could have a control subject, we could observe it, we could write passively about the observations and then we could discern the best practices and the best, best principles. And as we do that, we then eventually can learn how to manipulate and control our world. It's interesting, C.S. Lewis writes about how science and magic often are seen as polar opposites, but really they're opposite sides of the same coin. That they were both an attempt to control the environment, to control one's life, to control one's world, and magic was just a sense of I can manipulate it through potion or I can manipulate it through incantation or I can manipulate it through elements. And, and then uh, science, again, was a sense of, oh, no, I can manipulate the world by studying and understanding and knowledge. And uh, pray for that person. And uh, I, I can understand and control the world. And it, magic grew sickly and died, but science grew strong and it, and it grew up and it became modernism. And... That's where Germany invented a clock so that we could understand and know time and even begin to control our schedules. It's why that Western societies, by and large, hold all of the eating disorders. Because eating disorders is almost uniquely a Western thing because it's under the sense of like, man, I need to control my life so much that when my whole life feels out of control, at least I can control my body or I can control what I eat or control what I don't eat. And right now, in this moment, our faith is shaking because we are realizing that we have no control. We feel completely awakened to the idea that we have no power, no power to self-actualize, or at least if we do, it's very tied to our circumstances and it could be taken away in a weekend in March in 2020. And it's like we are all of a sudden realizing maybe for the first time there are parts of my life or maybe all of my life I have built on the sand and it's shifting. And when things start shifting and your faith starts to shake of what you put your faith in, it freaks us all out. And I'm not saying if you're like, have any level of anxiety or stress about this. I mean, everyone has le like levels of anxiety and stress of this. Like that means you're not a Christian. That means you're not saved. That means you don't really believe in God. I'm just saying 
this in so many ways is this gift from God to say, hey, look at all these areas that we're still needing to move your grip from what you're holding onto and put it onto that which doesn't shift. Put it on to the solid rock in which if you build your house in this, the winds come and the storms come and beat against it and it stands firm. And what is that other than the resurrection? See, self-actualization in our worldview, we find it shaking and anxiety is coming because that has no ability to appropriate things like loss, suffering, and death. Christian, your worldview can absolutely appropriate those things. In fact, it, it, it not only can appropriate loss, suffering, and death, it is based on an event of loss, suffering, and death. And even that, the end of the story, is not actually the end. But we celebrate today that Jesus rises as the first fruits of new creation and says, This is what's coming for everyone. My kingdom is coming. I am the first fruits of a resurrected life that will bring in a new earth and new heavens. A new reality is coming. And that's huge because right now, the reason, one of the many reasons, of if we're really honest with ourselves, we're freaking out is because you can't play the worst case scenario game. That's like where you think through, man, what's the worst case scenario? And if you can accept that, you're okay. And that's like the last stitch of control for us. Man, if I, can't, if I feel like I'm out of control in my whole life, I'll just be like, well, what's the worst case scenario? Okay, I feel like that's okay. I'm in control of that. Uh, or I'm just in control of the sense that I'm not affected by that. And so that's all right. Problem is, right now, the worst case scenario is really bad. And the middle case scenario might be pretty bad. I mean, we might not really be willing to accept even some of the best case scenarios in this moment. And so the worst case scenario of the, yes, I mean, I don't know, like, Everyone dies. And yeah, that's maybe that's not realistic, but just like we all personally experience loss in a really profound way. It invites us to this moment where the church has endured plague and persecution and death since its inception because it held so closely and was formed by the realities that we are celebrating today. Look, I'm not saying any of this is easy. I'm really not, I'm not like, I, I totally know what it feels like to be, have all the head knowledge of what you should think and feel, but having no ability to connect it to your heart and your actions and your actual life. I know what that feels like. I know the impossibility of saying, I can get every right answer. You can test my theology. You can press into what I really believe. But right now, I can't actually get it to drop into my soul. 
And that's why we did a whole series on the I am statements of like that idea of just like, it doesn't matter what you really think because at the end of the day, it's your, your neurological memory of your body, it's your reflexes that, so, that prove what you believe so many times. And that can be deeply frustrating when all of a sudden you have a moment where the reflex shows like, holy cow, do I actually really believe in this in the depths of my spirit? But that's not the end, this is just an invitation to what we've been doing at Soma and what we're continuing to do of forming ourselves into the image of Jesus and recognizing moments like this of fear, anxiety, uh, of pain, of loss, of these things where we're just like, man, is, Jesus, is following Jesus really worth it? They're all parts that point us back to the fact of like, I mean, sometimes I feel like the most compelling case for why I still am here and why I'm still standing and holding onto Jesus is because I think of the moment when the disciples, when he like looks at the disciples, Jesus does, and he's like, you know, everybody else went away when I said some crazy stuff. Are you also going to go away? And they're like, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. Because maybe, again, this isn't easy to live into the reality of the resurrection. I mean, it's easy on like 99.9% .9 of all the Easter's you've ever lived through. It's not easy in this one. But it's never been more needed. It's never been more essential to say, am I living to that? Or if I'm not, then what can I do or what can I continue to press into to form myself so that as these winds come, and these winds are going to blow by eventually, but more winds will come. And I don't know if they'll be ever like this. I mean, this is kind of like a once in a century kind of deal, maybe. But some other winds are going to come because wars, major world wars typically are too. And all other sense of personal tragedy, I mean, yeah, you're kind of guaranteed for that. And so winds are going to come now and they might blow over, but they'll come again. And storm, this storm might blow over or it might continue to rage. Regardless, more storms will come. But when winds blow and storms come, Jesus is inviting us to form ourselves into a people that is so planted on him, a solid rock, that all that stuff comes, all the wind blows, all the storms rage, and we stand firm. And that doesn't mean like it's like onward Christian soldier in the midst of pain and, and loss and all that stuff. No, a lot of times, I mean, I always say to people, the person of Psalm 1, the, the person everybody wants to be of like the... You know, blessed is the one who meditates on the uh, word of the Lord day and night. For even in the dry and weary season, he still he or she still produces fruit. And people are like, oh yeah, that's just like a person who's just like really joyful in the midst of pain. No, it's a person who is mourning and bawling their eyes out in the midst of pain, but are still able to produce the fruit of Jesus by loving and serving and caring and giving of themselves, even in the midst where they feel like they have nothing else left. And so, yes, I, I've been really struggling with how to speak about this because I don't want to be this thing where I just like sound glib. I'm like, oh, it's just easy. Believe in Jesus. This is not easy. But it's so necessary to hold on to the reality that if all of this goes, if this is the end of human civilization, or a zombie apocalypse, still on the table. We gave up animal testing for the whole vaccination and that's how every zombie apocalypse story ever starts. So if that happens, that story didn't get enough press. 
Either way, uh, no matter how this all ends, Jesus rose as the first fruits of new heavens and new earth. And he said, like, hey, you are going to now come into my kingdom and be co-rulers. We are going to live in a new earth and we are going to produce from the land fruit and our jobs and our work and our creation and cities and have relationships and feast with our king. And it is all going to be without pain and without struggle, but yet without boredom and without, without lack of purpose. And, and I can't even figure it out how it all works in my mind. But he just says, hey, man, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. And man, the person who finds it and sell, you just want to sell everything you have to get this. And so Jesus is like saying, hey, I died. I rose from the dead. dead. I kind of have some authority to say some stuff. You want this. It's going to be a good thing. Keep holding on. Keep forming yourself in this image. Keep moving towards the kingdom where you're free from fear, free from, free from shame, free from I need to prove myself, free from the, the sense of where's, like, where, how's my retirement going to be and when's that going to run out or well, how am I going to like make my, something of myself in my career? And so I think ultimately, again, this, this season is inviting us to the idea of, of do we believe the resurrection? I mean, do we believe it? I heard this this week. Um, if you can give up the, the simple, non-supernatural non, uh, supposition that dead people generally stay dead, which is a really big uh, presupposition, if you can let go of that, there is as much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than there is for the fall of Rome, for the Caesar empire, for anything. I mean, you get stuff all, the, all over the place. Like you get these disciples that were, I mean, not just the 12 disciples, just hundreds and hundreds of disciples that overnight switch from worshiping the one monotheistic vision of Yahweh to saying, hey, this guy who we just followed for a few years is actually God. And they were willing to die for it for 400 years. And if somebody just produced a body or something, I mean, you just had people for 400 years until Christianity becomes legal, uh, just dying over and over again. Or you get, you get James, the brother of Jesus, writing a letter to say, I believe my brother was God. I have multiple sons. I do not know what they would have to do to believe that any of them are God um, and that they would all sign off on that letter and send that out and that we'd follow them and die for following them. And so we're in this moment of like, it's actually kind of question, hey, do we believe this? And then it's also just asking the question, is the resurrection enough? Sometimes you can be like, okay, great, yeah, new creation, new heavens, north, that's awesome. What about like the 80-year struggle that is my life? Because now I'm young and I've lost a child. Or I've lost the job and the career path that I thought I was going to have. I lost a marriage. I lost my health. And now life is forever not going to be doing all the things I thought I enjoyed doing. Or I'm now confined to being helped by those who love me most and I'm a burden on everyone and they feel the burden or I'm, I have to care for this burden that is this relationship now that I just have to care for somebody who's never going to live the same again. And I don't know what their situation, maybe it's that, maybe it's none of those. But ultimately we have to trust, no matter what happens in our lives or no matter what happens in this season, do we trust that Jesus is forming us, shaping us to the image of him, fully free, 
joy to the full, life to the full. And as it says in Romans 8, that he's using everything to that end. That even now, 2020, COVID-19, all the stuff that's going on, he's in the process of doing that for you. And do you believe this? Are you struggling to hold on to it as Jesus is in the process of shaping you into that? Because again, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're like me, and this is a time where I'm really just loving to see the response of, of the Spirit clearly in me moving powerfully if you're a point where it's like, man, I just feel guilt and shame um, for the way that, uh, that what's this bringing out and shaking up out of my heart and shaking up the things that I've actually put faith in my ability to control my situation or just wherever else you are. But I invite you to partake in the act of communion, the act of Jesus coming and saying, hey, I know you're weak. I know you need a perfect and spotless lamb and not just like the best lamb you can find out there. You need God himself to cover you with his blood, to break his body on behalf of you and to complete a new covenant that brings broken, sinful people who are fearful and running. I mean, the disciples are like fearful every page of the Bible. And he says, yeah, you're going to be the leaders in my kingdom because I'm coming and I'm going to wash you clean. And over time and over years, I'm going to keep inviting you back. I'm going to keep restoring you, Peter. I'm going to keep restoring you. And on that rock, I'm going to build my church. And so he does that through his covenant meal. And so uh, I hope you uh, have some form of the bread and the cup as uh, we, we said we were going to do this together. And so... Um, Take the bread, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, from this moment, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in my Father's kingdom with you.